You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. As the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind. Poisoning. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. The program is podcast. This is the last Anarchist World This Week Relax for 2021, not forever. I thought you were going to jump up and start celebrating the end of the year. No, this is the last for 2021. And if you wonder what anarchism is all about, Anarchos, without rulers, it's about creating a society without rulers. What are the institutional, social and cultural structures which give rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, share power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common. Simple concepts which basically kneecap rulers. Now, end of the year... You normally get these boring programs where people reflect on what's happened and they're really tedious and they start on the 1st of January 2021 and they go through till what, the 29th of December or 31st of December or whatever and they give you some uh, trite analysis of what's happened with lots of pictures and, oh, no, it's not going to happen on the Anarchist World this week. If you're waiting for that, go away. Just go away and don't lose this hour. Look, I'm, I'm interested in the concept of what did I learn? Yep, what did I learn? Yes, even old people like me learn. We learn all the time. And I learned a number of things, mostly unpleasant, about the human race, institutional structures, governments, oppositions, culture. And we're all, a lot of really interesting things 2021 highlighted, things that we normally take for granted. I think the most important lesson I learnt is pandemic or no pandemic, capitalism marches on. That's right, it marches on. Now I know a lot of people are concerned that governments are going to use the pandemic as an excuse to tighten regulations and surveillance and all that, but I've got some bad news for you. They don't need to. The government in Australia has had extraordinary power since the so-called terrorist threats 20 years ago. As I've said on a number of times on this program, that has occurred because Australia has no protection for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power constitutionally. So what it means is we're about the only Western parliament 
you know, likes to call itself democracy, that can remove rights and liberties through regulation as well as legislation because there's no constitutional protection. There's no constitutional protection to freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of uh, protest, freedom of withdrawing your labour, and the list goes on and on. Because if there's no constitutional protections, it means that Parliament, which is elected by the people, can, if there's a majority in both houses of Parliament, pass any legislation it likes without recourse to the High Court to make a ruling regarding protection of the individual or minorities or even the majority. None whatsoever. And although we've had two years of pandemics and a number of restrictions, which I support, and you know that I support these restrictions, there have been no constitutional challenges in the High Court of Australia regarding the state's government and the Commonwealth government's ability to introduce mandates and restrict people's movements. So this is not something new. This is something that's been in place since Federation 1901. This is nothing new. What is new, that as a result of the Islamic fundamentalist threat about 20 years ago, that legislation has been passed through Parliament in Australia which does more than prevent you from opening your mouth or protesting, but allows you to be arbitrarily detained because you may have information which may assist the authorities with their investigations, that allows you to be jailed for up to 25 years for being involved in an occupation, that allows you to be jailed if you act in a health capacity overseas in a war zone, that's not authorised by this particular government, that allows you to be jailed for up to seven years under this legislation if you refuse to answer questions. So all those people have been jumping up and down regarding you know, the right not to wear a mask or not to have an injection. I should think again because they weren't out on the streets 20 years ago. It was almost impossible considering the the terrorist uh, hysteria in this country, to actually raise this subject in any forum, let alone a mass forum. So what I've learned is that what what was law 20 years ago is law today. So that's actually not a new lesson. It's I've, that lesson's been reinforced. Now, the other lesson that I've learnt is that although the current Morrison-led coalition government is all about individual liberty, that's right, I almost choked on the word, individual liberty, when it comes to questions of individual liberty, the coalition is only interested in individual liberty if it allows sections of society to maximise maximize profits at the expense of the community. They're talking about the liberty to exploit. 
Now, I've learned a very important lesson. Well, I haven't learned this lesson. It's a lesson I've known, which I'm sure you know, but I just like to make it in black and white. I've learned a very, very significant question in 2021. I mean, not question, but significant facts. And these are based on the concept that you and I have rights in law. We don't have rights in law. The only rights in law we have is the rights that Parliament is willing to give us today. It's not an exact exaggeration to say that if both houses of Parliament pass legislation to say that all blue-eyed two-year-olds should be interned because they're the spawn of the devil, that constitutionally there'd be no protection against the internment of two-year-olds. I know it sounds ludicrous, but I can assure you that if a High Court looked at that question, they'd be very, 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 very hard-pressed to find an implied right to freedom for anybody. I mean, the, the situation has become so ridiculous that about 20 years ago the High Court found an implied right to freedom of speech only during election periods because you couldn't have an election without freedom of speech, could you? And the other thing I've learnt is that in a capitalist society, one based on private investment for private profit, everything is a business opportunity. Everything. Everything is a business opportunity, supply and demand. Everything. And if we didn't have public institutions and public health facilities in this country to provide universal health care, that people will be dying in their thousands, tens of thousands, because access to health care would have only been available to those who had the resources, as we saw in India when they were struggling to access oxygen, to those who had the money to buy the best health care system you can buy. So I learnt in 2021 the power of money. I learnt how governments can be manipulated and pressured to provide resources to the rich and powerful at the expense of the rest of the community because more resources are limited, obviously. You know that and I know that. And that lesson was brought home to me when the job keeper and job seeker program was brought in and thirty eight billion that's B billion dollars was given to corporations and businesses around this country who actually made a profit out of the pandemic. They didn't close down, but they were given the money. And the fascinating thing was there's, there was nothing in the legislation which allowed the government to reclaim that money. And apart from shaming those particular corporations, and you couldn't shame them in the majority of cases because the government refused, refused to hand over the names of those corporations and how much money they'd pocketed, which they didn't, weren't, weren't um, entitled to. At the same time, don't forget how this government has made its uh, has made its what 
presence known by saying that we are here to protect the taxpayers' money as far as the Social Security is concerned. We will introduce the cashless welfare card. We introduced robo-debt to ensure that you know, people on Social Security benefits that are below the poverty line don't rip off the system and we will use every means at our disposal to recoup that money for the taxpayer. But when it came to the $38 billion, which just happened to materialise on the banking statements of some of the richest corporations in this country, which allow them to make profits, although they were closed during the pandemic, the government said, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. We're not going to tell you who got the money. We're not going to pass legislation to claw that money back. If they want to send it back, they can. So I learnt about this dichotomy, this difference between sections of Australian society. I learnt about that very clearly. Very clearly. It was brought home to me. The fact is, although we're in the midst of a pandemic, which continues to smoulder on, the fact is some people have done very well, not through their efforts, but through taxpayers' dollars which have been given to them by the government. Could you imagine how many hospitals you could build and fund with $38 billion? Could you imagine how many quarantine centres you could set up with $38 billion? Could you imagine how many rapid antigen testing kits you could uh, give away to those who needed them with $38 billion. The mind boggles when you think about it. The mind boggles. $38 billion, that's 38 times $1,000 million. That's a lot of money. Now, what else did I learn? I learnt, and I think this is the major lesson I learnt or the most important lesson I've learnt because those lessons we know. We know those lessons. They happen regularly. But the lesson I learnt was how inadequate a private investment for private profit ethos is when it comes to dealing with a health emergency. I saw the fiasco that occurred as a result of private corporations being given the right to vaccinate people. We saw the fiasco which occurred when governments at the state level were giving away money to the private sector to organise hotel quarantine facilities. I saw the fiasco which occurred when the private hospital sector was told that they may, may, have to deal with COVID-19 if it got out of hand. So I learned a big lesson. In an emergency, whether it's a health emergency, an economic emergency, you cannot rely on the private sector to solve the situation. All the private sector does is profit from the situation. 
I learnt that you need government regulation in order to address issues, that you need public institutions and public services to overcome the challenges which are raised during a pandemic. I learnt that. And I learnt the hard way. I learnt that. So if you think a private investment for private profit model is going to resolve any issues during any emergency, whether it's an economic emergency, a defence emergency, a health emergency, think again. Ultimately, it's the collective wisdom and the collective energy and the collective power and the collective financial ability of the community which is the only force which can deal with an emergency. Capitalism is there to take the cream off the milk. It scoops off the cream in buckets. And if you look at private institutions which are owned, which provide essential services, you will find that many of these private institutions cherry-pick what residents they have, They cherry-pick what patients they see. And it's only those that are profitable they will treat and the others can go be shunted across to the public sector at the taxpayer's expense. Not that the private health care sector isn't at the taxpayer's expense because over $6 billion per year is given to the private health insurance industry to provide partial cover for about 40% of the population, maybe 42%. So that was a big lesson. It reinforced the necessity for public institutions. And nothing highlighted this than the kerfuffle that occurred when this country was trying to obtain vaccines. Australia is one of the most innovative, innovative, I should say, innovative, innovative countries in the world as far as medical research is concerned. We have many public institutions which carry out extraordinary research in the health field, but we don't actually have any public facility which manufactures vaccines in this country. The Commonwealth Serum Laboratory was privatised in the mid-1990s by Mr Keating, one of his great uh, achievements. I think the country recouped about $290 million, sold in the shares at about $2.60. Current price of our CSL shares around $300. So you can imagine the capital value of CSL. But the fact is that we had to go cap in hand to CSL and give them a billion dollars to, man- to ensure that man- vaccines were manufactured in this country. And unfortunately for the federal government and the Australian people, the AstraZeneca vaccine had a few little issues. So that was almost a billion dollars lost. Well, it is a billion dollars lost. So it highlighted to me the inadequacies and the stupidity of public-private partnerships. And this has been reinforced 
with the Commonwealth and state government giving money to a private company to produce mRNA vaccines in Melbourne. And the fact is we're not being told how much public money has been given because it's commercial in confidence. So here we have a failed public-private par- partnership with CSL and now a new public-private partnership where the public is taken to the cleaners while the private sector scoops off the cream. Extraordinary when you think about it. Just extraordinary when you think about it. The fact that we seem to have learned nothing. The rape of this country... by various forces, continues unabated. Continues unabated. And nothing highlights this more than the residential and commercial housing sector. Although a significant portion of the country was not working, what we saw was a 20%, an average of a 20% increase in housing prices and residential prices and rental prices during the COVID-19 pandemic because of ability to access cheap finance. Now, you can't access cheap finance, I can't, but if you're buying a home, you may be able to temporarily access cheap finance. So we're now seeing the ridiculous situation of if you win Tats Lotto, which is about pretty rare, I think six or seven people win it every Saturday in this country, the money you receive in the majority of cases is less than is needed to buy a three-bedroom house in a boring suburb somewhere in a metropolitan capital city on the East Coast. So here we are, during a pandemic, housing prices skyrocket and it's not because of lack of a supply as everybody keeps telling us but the fundamental question is it's a domination of the market by private investors who are using very low interest free loans to acquire residential property, rent out that residential property and claim losses on negative gearing. It's beautiful. A ready-made recipe for an explosion in housing prices, but no government, or even the Australian people, they had this option at the last federal election, are willing to interfere with the ability of those with disposable income to continue to increase their disposable income at the expense of the taxpayer. That's another thing I learnt. Not a pleasant um, lesson to learn, but it's a, a it's a lesson I learnt. The other thing I learnt is how people are confused. How people think public health is a personal choice or should be a personal choice. And we've seen the emergence of a mass movement against vaccinations and against mandates as far as COVID-19 is concerned. It is a mass movement. Let's be realistic. 
And although there's a high vaccination rate these days, we still see a significant portion of the population who think that public health is a right. They're not part of the system. And we've seen people go to the barricades, even turn the Eureka legend upside down, claiming their rights and responsibility. Well, their rights, not responsibilities. That's Their rights have been infringed by mandates, mask wearing, and all this goes on and on. Well, I know you may find this hard to believe, but viruses don't care. They do care about a few things. They care about crowded housing. They like crowded housing. They love crowded housing because it means it's easier to spread amongst the human flock. They don't like you know, big houses with good ventilation because their chances of spreading the infection are less. See, but viruses don't care. Apart from that, they don't care. They don't care what the colour of your skin is. They don't care what your religious belief is. They don't care if you like to stand on your head first thing in the morning. They don't care if you masturbate six times a day. They don't care. As long as you're human and you're breathing, they're interested. They want to colonise you. That's their job. They want to survive. They want to colonise. They want to expand. Sounds like capitalism at the best, doesn't it? So they don't care. So when somebody says, I have a right to strut around and spread disease, I think to myself, do I have the right to walk around the streets with a little gun and shoot people I don't like because I don't like them? I know it's an extreme example, but it's the same concept. Do I have a right not to wear a mask and infect my fellow human beings at work or in the city or in the streets or in a shop? Is that my right? Do I have the right to go to work and refuse vaccination and be a a vector for the spreading of infection? Do I really have that right? Is that a right? So what I learnt is, very early on in this debate, I learnt that there's a difference between libertarianism, the right to, and anarchism, the right from. So people who think that they've got a right to strut around and that public health has nothing to do with them, it's a, it's a personal option whether they access it or not, need to think again. Because those are coming from the, the philosophical movement which believes it's a right, they have a right to exploit other people, they have a right to put other people's life in danger, they have a right to do what they like when they like, irrespective of the consequences to other people. It's a libertarian option. It was interesting to see that the Liberal Democrats, a so-called libertarian party, and the United Australia Party, basically a populist um, you know, party, both of them have campaigned heavily on the fact that it is their right to spread infection. Right to. And these are the same type of people that want to remove regulations, want to give business its head, want to remove a basic wage, want to cull the benefits that workers receive, 
want to get rid of the social security network and rely on philanthropy. This is the same crowd. So it's a right to exploit. Right to. Right to do this. Right to do that. Right to do this. Do I have the right? Because I can do it. To exploit somebody who's physically weaker than me? Of course I don't. That means I don't have the right to spread infection. Obviously, if I was the only victim, well and good. It's your problem. You want to smoke? You want to take drugs? You want to be an alcoholic? Obviously, it has manifestations outside your own self. But fundamentally, you are not going to spread that disease. Fundamentally. So what's this? I learnt the difference between rights to and right from. Freedom from hunger. Freedom from oppression. Freedom from arbitrary exercise and detention. Freedom from the elements. And the list goes on and on. And this freedom is tempered by the freedom that is enjoyed by those around us. It's that simple. That's how it's tempered. I mean, as an anarchist, I don't think I'm an egotist. I don't consider to be an egotist that I'm the centre of the universe and everything I do is about me, although you may disagree. As an anarchist, it's about me as part of a greater social milieu. That's why we talk about devolution of power, sharing wealth. And we talk about this to satisfy human need. So I've learnt a lot there about rights. Rights to, rights from. Very important definition when people are talking about rights. So when I see people protesting about the right not to wear a mask or not to be vaccinated or not to be excluded from certain facilities, I think to myself, that's not a right. That's protection. The other part of the community is protecting themselves from your inability to understand that you are part and parcel of a community. But that's the way it is. And it's interesting to see that as the vaccination rates increase, that type of philosophical argument becomes less and less relevant. Very irrelevant. That's something that I've learned. I've learned about rights in 2021. Right. Now, what else have I learned? Well, I've learned that COVID-19 is an ever-changing threat. That, like us... It mutates, it wants to survive, it's living, it wants to survive, and that we may have to do things we don't want to do in order to protect ourselves, our families, our friends and our communities. Because ultimately what COVID-19 has demonstrated is that we are one world. It's taught me about internationalism. It's taught me about the fact that we are one world. So it's highlighted to me the differences in religion and culture, language, race, sexual orientation, gender. These are ultimately superficial differences. It's taught me that we we are all part of the human race because COVID-19 loves humans. It loves us. It wants to colonise us. It wants to be with us. It wants to go to bed with us. It wants to kiss us. 
We're its vector. We are what keeps it alive. And obviously it doesn't want to kill all of us. That wouldn't be to its advantage. So I've learnt a lot. Now, what else have I learnt? Now, I'm sure you've learnt a lot of things, and I assume by this time you're thinking about all the things you've learnt. I've actually learnt a lot regarding human behaviour and human thinking and propaganda. Because 2021 has been the year of propaganda. Now, I know propaganda is an old-fashioned word, and we like to talk about social media, influences and all that stuff. But the fact is, it's propaganda. Ultimately, it's about pushing a particular viewpoint, making a particular viewpoint seem acceptable, reasonable. The Nazis thought the Jews were subhuman. They thought the people living outside the German Empire were uh, second rate. They believed it. Part of their education system. We used to believe in South America, parts of South America, that if you didn't rip parts out of people's bodies, the sun would stop revolving around the earth and the crops wouldn't grow. So you'd have human sacrifices. We used to believe the earth was flat. A lot of things human people believe. And I believe, and I learnt a very exceptionally important lesson in 2021, that belief systems continue to dominate our way of thinking, that our way of thinking as human beings to a significant degree is not determined by reason and science and facts and figures, but it's determined by belief, culture, exposure to propaganda. And that's one very important reason to understand the phenomenon we now face of vaccination resistance. Not a big problem in Australia, but a huge problem in places like the United Kings and the United States where almost one third of the population are not vaccinated. Somehow thinking they will survive forever. So I've learnt that. Now, something else I've has been brought home to me during this COVID-19 pandemic in 2021 is how unsustainable the current business model is. The current business model in this country is not about following the award system and paying people decent wages for a decent day's work. The current philosophy, political and economically and culturally, has to bring people from other countries to this country to provide unskilled and semi-skilled workers at a non-unionised way and being given wages that are below the basic wage. So while that ever 
never-ending stream of guest workers came into this country, we were able to maintain this untenable business model. But now that the borders have been shut for almost 18 months, it's become an issue. There aren't enough Australians who are willing to work part-time in poorly paid jobs with no future. They're not willing to do it. And there aren't the overseas workers who've been kind of had a permanent residence passport dangled in front of their nose to come here on a student visa or some other type of visa to do the work that uh, is basically won't pay your bills unless you make major sacrifices. I've learnt that. I've learnt that labour continues to be exploited in this country. I've learnt that. So I've learnt that. What else have I learnt in 2021? I've learnt that during a pandemic, resistance is difficult. While a movement developed, which was against vaccination and mandates... The ability of people like myself to organise counter-demonstrations or to get involved in other activities was neutralised because we understood that the threat posed by the pandemic, especially before vaccination was introduced, was so great that we were willing to suspend our activities. But that other section of the population wasn't. They saw it as a mechanism by which to extend their myopic viewpoints about a number of issues, whether it's based on race or gender, sexual orientation. They came out of the woodworks, brandishing the banner of freedom. Quite extraordinary when you think about it. So I learnt that. The thing I learnt... It was brought home to me is how weak the trade union movement has become in this country. Less than one in five workers are now unionised. Most of those that are unionised actually uh, are in government jobs, whether it's police, teaching, and the list goes on and on. And that as far as non-public service jobs are concerned, the unionisation rates are less than 10%. If it wasn't for the CFMEU, they'd be down to 1% or 2%. So I've learnt, I've learnt that history doesn't matter. It doesn't count. That our story as a people is irrelevant. That history starts today. It starts now. Anything that occurred before, a minute before you heard me, is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Supposedly has no impact on our lives. And there are very few sovereign nation states in the world that have so much amnesia about their origins. And nothing highlights this more than Australia, where history starts every morning, like a groundhog day. It's not the same, but it starts every morning. It's what happens today that matters. Nothing else matters. The past is a foreign country. It's irrelevant. I've learned that. That's the way that a settler society based on theft, rape and murder can continue 
to justify its existence in this country. That's not being negative, I'm just stating a few facts. What else have I learnt? I've learnt that we've got no manufacturing left in this country. Then when push come, came to shove and the container ships were empty, we didn't even have enough masks to provide rudimentary protection for the people of this country against COVID-19. We didn't have enough hand wash. It took a few months to get the uh, local manufacturing back on board, but we did get that local manufacturing back on board. That we had become a totally import fixated society that we no longer produce or manufacture because it's cheaper to do it offshore, import it into the country and sell it at inflated prices. Much cheaper. Much cheaper. So I learned about that. I learned about the fact that we can't even respond to a piddling pandemic. Could you imagine how we would respond to the outbreak of war in this country. I think the word would be used would be panic. So I've learnt about that. It's another lesson I've drawn. The other lesson I've drawn, and it's been particularly, um, you know, uh, vociferous during 2021, is that you need a foreign enemy. Australia's always needed a foreign enemy. At the turn of the century, it was the Russians who were going to invade. If you live in Melbourne, you go out to Port, Port Nepean, which is the heads to the Port Phillip Bay and the city of Melbourne. There are gun emplacements there, which were placed there in the late 1880s, early 1890s, to protect the Victorian colony from a Russian invasion. If you go up further up the bay to... Uh, Black Rock, Sandringham, you'll see the Cerebus, which has been used as uh, like ballast these, these days for fish. And the Cerebus was Victoria's modern gunship, which was bought in order to protect Victoria from the Russian invasion. And since the gold rushes, successive movements and governments have always been able to play the Chinese card the yellow peril card the bogeyman from the north card and old enough to remember election after election where the, the threat of communism the threat of a Chinese invasion was the Trump card which was used over and over and over again to see conservative reactionary governments elected and re-elected in this country and once again as we approach a 2022 election, I've learnt that if you've got a Trump card, use it. Although there are over 1 million people of Chinese descent or Asian descent in this country, that's 1 in 25, we still continue to use the yellow peril as a dog whistle to those among us who think that the Chinese invasion is imminent. So I've learnt that. I've learnt the value of propaganda and the more you repeat it, the better off we'll all be, you know. So I've also learnt there's going to be a federal election in 2022. 
And I learnt that this government is particularly frightened. And the opposition, they're frightened. They're frightened of minor political parties, they're frightened of independents, especially when the independents grouped together for a common source of resources to fight election campaigns with. They're very frightened. I know that we don't live in a democratic society because democracy is rule of the people, by the people, for the for an, for an engaged public. That's what it's about. For an engaged public. And I know that many people are not engaged with the political process in this country, thinking that somehow it's something they can't influence or there's no point, it'll always be corrupt, change is impossible. So I've learnt that there is this negative negativity in our community, a ne- negativity which is fostered and encouraged by sections of society who set an agenda every day which is about promoting the status quo, which is about promoting the private investment for private profit brigade, which is about skimming the cream of the milk. That's right. Skimming the cream, putting it in their pockets and getting on with their lives. It's quite extraordinary. 2021. There's a lot of things to learn in 2021. The only good thing is it'll be over in a few days, but then there'll be 2022 and maybe we'll have the same lessons to learn. And the other lesson I've learned is despite COVID-19, the two dominant clans or tribal groups in Australia are still dominant. The somebody should do something about that crowd and the Ghana crowd are acquiring adherence every day. We've become a society which has been seduced by the spectacle, whether the spectacle is consumer goods, whether the spectacle is entertainment, whether the spectacle is colour and action, whether the spectacle is the virtual world. We've become so consumed by the spectacle that we have lost. And that's the word. We have lost any ability to deal with reality. That's right. I seem to have lost the ability to not only deal with reality, but define reality and define what a fact is. In a world where alternative facts, you like those words, alternative facts, are as important as facts, you have the breeding ground for the formulation and expansion of movements which are based on disinformation and hatred. And that's what we've seen in 2021. Movements that are based on disinformation and hatred coming to the fore. And I know you've all got pleasant things to say about social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram... And the list goes on and on. I know Mr Trump or ex-President Trump is trying to get back on Twitter, launching a legal action against them or something. But the reality is all these forms of mass communication which were supposed to democratise us as a society have now become instruments of oppression. And they've become instruments of oppression 
because what powers them is us, our information. It's our information which gives their algorithms the ability to point advertising at us at the very times we need particular things. Every individual has become a potential mass market. Every individual can at any time be inundated with material about buying a certain thing or accessing some piece of disinformation or information. But the model on which the World Wide Web was created, which was supposed to be a decentralised model, which promoted egalitarianism, has become the exact opposite. It is now owned, manipulated, by a small number of private corporations who use our information to sell us things. And they make their money by selling, selling advertisements. That's all it is. They sell you advertisements. They sell you advertisements. They sell you things. Nothing flash about that. What I've also learnt in 2021? Well, I've learnt that the Uber economy or the gig economy, as they call it, my apologies, the gig economy is not an economy. That it is an 18th century construct. What the gig economy does is reduce every individual to a... Sorry, reduce every human interaction to an individual action. So it's about you and the person who delivers your food. It's that interaction. But in the middle, there's a platform. And that's where the most of the money goes. And whether you're a restaurant which uses a company to deliver your, your crap, or whether you're some other facility like an Airbnb which uses a platform, the, the fact is that most of the revenue that comes in to these platforms, the given portion comes from them owning that platform, holus bolus, which means they charge. Not only the people who use the service, but they charge the individual for the use of that service. It's very simple. That's what the platform was all about. So I've learnt that the march of technology can be reversed. It's not irreversible. Not everything is about convenience. I have learnt, to my horror, that living in Australia in 2021 is basically an investor's dream that the rest of us are losers. I've learnt that ethical behaviour, moral behaviour is considered to be a loser's game in this country. And nothing highlights this more than our superannuation system. Now, superannuation is a 12 to 13% compulsory levy on wages. The richer you are, the more money goes into your superannuation account. The more money that goes into your superannuation account, the more loopholes you can use in the taxation system to maximise your nest egg at when you retire. 
That's right, your nest egg when you retire. Maximise what's in that nest egg when you retire. Could you imagine that? And the poorer you are and the harder you work, the less money goes towards your retirement. That's right. We're all fixated by the amount of noughts on our retirement fund, not understanding that in retirement is the biggest, I mean superannuation is the biggest cons in sliced white bread. That's all about minimising the state's responsibility to its citizens and providing resources to the capitalist sector to expand their empire, and that's your superannuation money, which can disappear overnight during a time of a crash. No guarantees. No guarantees. So I've learnt that. What else have I learnt? I've learnt that hope springs eternal. That's right. I know you've heard that before. Nothing original. There's nothing original in the anarchist world this week. You should know that by now. There's nothing original. There's no thought that's original anywhere in the world. Everything has been said before. But the difference is in 2021, we seem to have lost the capacity to dream. Not to dream about an overseas holiday or a widescreen TV set or a Lamborghini, you know, but we seem to have lost the capacity to dream. That's right. The capacity to dream. Not just about ourselves, but our society. We have lost that capacity to dream. We have become so individualistic and egotistic that we no longer think we are part of a community, that we are part of something that is greater than ourselves and our immediate relatives. We have gone back to a 19th century construct where the state is there to protect the interests of those who run that organisation, but not to protect the interests of the citizens. We have lost that capacity to dream that another world is possible. Every time we raise issues like collectivisation, cooperatives, collective, alternative economic systems, alternative social systems, the breakdown of hierarchy, we're told, you're dreaming. Apologies to the castles. You're dreaming. And that's the fact, is we no longer dream. As a society, we have now come to the realisation There's no point in dreaming because dreams get you nowhere. Dreams are dreams. They're nothing more, they're nothing less. So the lesson for 2021 is a varied lesson. The fact is that ultimately the type of society we live in to a significant degree depends on our interaction with other people in that society and how we interact, how we organise how we challenge those who exercise power and control wealth. The less the challenges, the greater the concentration of power and wealth in fewer, fewer hand, in fewer and fewer hands. The greater the challenges to their power and wealth, 
the greater the possibility for change. And what COVID-19 did in 2021 is reduce our ability as as organisations to actually challenge that power. We stood back. We accepted that we had to make a greater sacrifice, individual sacrifice for the sake of the community. We wore masks. We were vaccinated. We accepted mandates because we understood it's freedom from, not freedom to. We understood that. So that is the lesson for 2021. We are part of a greater social, cultural organism. We are not isolated individuals whose only purpose in life is to is to look after ourselves. We have a greater responsibility. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week during 2021. Listen in next week. I'll do my usual first week program on the Tanaminawe and Mulbohina. It's become a bit of a tradition. I think it's an important way to start the year to educate people about this country's First Nations people and where we've come from and where we're going. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week during 2021, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.